If you're able, would you remain standing for a moment longer and turn to the book of Hebrews, chapter 4. We will be reading from chapter 4, verse 14, to chapter 5, verse 11. As you know, the chapter breaks were not part of the original writing. This is a letter to be read continually without the breaks. Chapter 4, verse 14, the letter to the Hebrews. This is the word of our Lord. Seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. For every high priest taken from among men is appointed for men in things pertaining to God, that he may offer both gifts and sacrifices for sins. He can have compassion on those who are ignorant and going astray, since he himself is also subject to weaknesses. Because of this, he is required as for the people, so also for himself, to offer sacrifices for sins. And no man takes this honor to himself, but he who is called by God just as Aaron was. So also Christ did not glorify himself to become high priest, but it was he who said to him, You are my son, today I have begotten you. As he also says in another place, You are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek, who who in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplications with vehement cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death, And was heard because of his godly fear, though he was a son, yet he learned obedience by the the things which he suffered. And having been perfected, he became the author of eternal salvation to all who obey him, called by God as high priest according to the order of Melchizedek, of whom we have much to say and hard to explain, since you have become dull of hearing. This is the word of our Lord. Let us pray together. Father, we pray that you would use this portion of your word to help us see Christ more clearly. And as we hear it, help us also to become doers of your word for asking in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. According, according to the Roman Catholic Church, uh, August of 20, uh, 2008 to July of 2009 was the year of St. Paul. Pope Benedict XVI decided to celebrate Paul's 2000th birthday or anniversary of his birth by offering a special plenary indulgence, uh, which I don't see, uh, maybe you see the irony of the issue. Paul, who was the man known for preaching free grace and condemning any church that would preach a different gospel, is honored by the church actually selling forgiveness to those uh, that are uh, wanting forgiveness. The conditions of the indulgence were clearly stipulated. Absolution will be granted, so forgiveness will be granted by the Pope. So this is a plenary uh, indulgence that comes directly from the Pope and is good for any sin. It's not for specific sins, for any sin. 
Um, so it will be granted by the Pope to the soul that does penance, receives communion, makes a pilgrimage to the Papal Basilica of St. Paul in Rome, and I quote, devoutly recites the Our Father and the Creed, adding pious invocations in honor of the Blessed Virgin Mary and St. Paul. And if they did all that correctly during the Pauline year, they might, it's interesting that uh, the indulgence actually says that you might, you might receive time off of in purgatory up to full exoneration. So even then, it's not a guarantee. You, know, you might get a couple years or maybe all the years, uh, though the church never says how long you're going to be in purgatory anyway, um, so there's no um, knowing what's going to happen. Now, how contrary to the passage that we have before us here today, the scriptures teach that there is only one mediator, there is only one priest between man and God, and that is the man, Jesus Christ. It is through faith in him that sins are forgiven, not through some silly ritual and a declaration by the Pope. The message the Holy Spirit has for this Hebrew congregation that was thinking that it would be better to abandon Christ and return to Judaism is simple. The book of Hebrews might, might come across as a daunting book as you read it. It's the most quotes from the Old Testament is in the book of Hebrews. It, you, you have to read it and read it to really get a grasp of it. But the message is simple. And it's, a, it's also a message for us today. And the message is this. Don't give up your faith. Persevere to the end. And in all honesty, giving up the faith is, is uh, not a foreign temptation to most of us. There are days in which the struggles, the pressures of the world, the lust of the flesh, the, the lust of the eye, the pride of life, the love of the world, the different heat that life brings upon us makes abandoning the faith attractive. Uh, always having to swim against the stream. We live in the region where being a Christian is, um, is probably worse than the Scarlet Letter. Have you ever, ever noticed that recently, that uh, being a Christian is, you know, Hester Prynne had nothing, um, Prim had nothing on us with her Scarlet Letter. Uh, being a Christian in this world, in particular the place we live, is, uh, brings all kinds of barriers uh, uh, keeps us perhaps from advancing at work, keeps us from fellowship with our families. Uh, is, it, society has decided that we are the pariah of this world. And the pressure is great to give up the faith, to return to something else, to do something different that it might be easier. So I think we all can relate to this message of the book of Hebrews. Don't give up the faith. And it's not an empty exhortation either. It's, it's grounded in the work of Christ, as we're going to see here today. And the first thing that uh, the Spirit tells us in this passage, we're going to look at verses 14 through 16 of chapter 4, is don't give up. You have a high priest. Look at verse 14. Seeing then that we have a great high priest who, was, who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. It might not excite us so much that we have a high priest because we've, uh, we, we perhaps don't understand what a high priest is. But if you were to read 
the Bible from the beginning, particularly in the first five books, or particularly Leviticus, Numbers, and, and Deuteronomy. You understand, you would understand the necessity of having somebody who can stand, stand before God on your behalf. The Bible is clear in saying that none of us on our own can stand before God. God is holy and He cannot behold sin. And we are sinners by nature. We're, we don't become sinners because we sin. We, become, we are sinners because we are conceived in that way. We inherit the corruption, the pollution, and the guilt of Adam's sin. Therefore, we can't come before God. And not being able to come before God is the ultimate um, bad thing. I know that's not very pretty language. Uh, I get, you know, sometimes with Doug Bond staring at me here, I get flustered with my vocabulary. So... I should find somebody else that's not so uh, so intimidating to look at. But then, if I look at you, you think I'm mocking you now. I'm going to look at the ceiling. Uh, but not having a high priest that intercedes for you is to be separated from God forever. It's to not have fellowship with Him. And as you read the Old Testament, you see that one family and one family only could function as a high priest. And that was the Levites. And even within that family, there's only one clan that could serve as high priest. It was the clan of Aaron. Only the sons of Aaron, the direct line of Aaron, could function as a high priest before the Lord. And even then, as verses 1 through 5 of chapter 5 tells us, he could only go into the most holy place in the presence of God once a year. And that's it. And you have to go in and stand. And first, you have to offer a sacrifice for his own sins because he was just like us. He's a sinful man. And if God accepted that sacrifice for, his, for the high priest himself, then he would come back with a sacrifice for the people. We have that high priest and his name is Jesus Christ. He's no longer a human one that has to go every year hoping that God would accept his offering. His offering has been, his sacrifice has been accepted once for all and we don't have to do that Anymore, We don't have to live in fear, wondering if God accepts us. Because if you believe in Jesus Christ, God has accepted you. You have been brought into the Beloved. You have been translated out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of God's dear Son. He looks at you and He sees the face of Christ. That's what God has done. We have that high priest that has done that for us. So don't give up. And verse 14 tells us at least three characteristics of our high priest. He says that we have, what kind of high priest? A great high priest. He's greater than the high priest in the line of Aaron. Because he offered the sacrifice that needs to be offered only once. And doesn't have to be done again. Now verses five through, verses 1 through 4 of chapter 5 is a reference to the Day of Atonement. A day that's today in Jewish culture has become known as Yom Kippur. The day that the high priest would go in and offered. Christ brought his own blood to atone for the sins of all his people once and for all. We do not need to buy any forgiveness. We don't need to buy any indulgence. We don't need to go up the steps of St. Peter's Basilica on our knees getting 100 years off per step that we climbed because our high priest has offered the sacrifice. We don't have to atone for our own sins. So the Holy Spirit says, don't give up. 
don't give him up because there is no other sacrifice. If you turn your back on Jesus, who is going to be your high priest? If you abandon Jesus, there is no other. Hebrews 10 tells us there's no sacrifice left for you. The only thing left for you is to deal with the living God on your own. Secondly, verse 14 tells us that our great high priest has passed through the heavens. His blood was not uh, offered in the earthly tabernacle, but in the heavenly one. Later on in the book, uh, the Holy Spirit goes through great lengths in chapter 7 and 8 to describe this heavenly uh, tabernacle in which Jesus offered his, himself there. You know, the high priest had to go through the curtains in order to get to the holiest place in the tabernacle every year. And the other Levites and the people would be wondering, is he going to come back? Is God going to accept the sacrifice? Christ, the great high priest, went through the curtain of the heavens and presented his sacrifice before the very presence of God. And God accepted it. You know how we know that? He was risen on the third day. He came out and God said, I accept what my son has offered in behalf of his people. He transcended the realm and went straight to the top to offer his blood for you if you're a believer in Jesus Christ. And thirdly, verse 14 tells us that the high priest has a name and his name is Jesus, the son of God. He's man. He's a man who is also God. He's the one who brought humanity and deity into one person. He's the one who can reconcile man to God and God to man. So don't give him up. Because there isn't another way to be reconciled with God. Instead of giving him up. Hold fast to your confession, verse 14 tells us. Hold fast. Grip it. Grip the truth that Jesus Christ is Lord. This is your confession. He is worthy of it. Romans 10, verses 9 and 10 says that, that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. So hold on to that. Don't let it go. Grip so tightly that it becomes part of you, that you're united to that confession. Obviously, you cannot hold on to the confession if you're not holding on to the one that you're confessing. So hold on to Christ. Be united with Him. Don't give them up. Because you have a great high priest who has transcended this realm and has made an everlasting offering on your behalf before God in heaven. So don't give up because you have a high priest. But he continues. The Holy Spirit tells us, don't give up. Christ gets it. Look at verse 15. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Don't think that because he passed through the heavens, Christ is far removed from us. Our high priest sympathizes with what we go through in life. He gets it. He's not oblivious to what you are going through. He's not oblivious to the sufferings of this life. He's not, he's not oblivious to what it means to be human. He's not oblivious to have broken relationships. He's not oblivious to, oblivious to physical suffering. He's not oblivious to emotional suffering. He's not oblivious to being sinned against. He knows that. He gets it. A commentator says, yes, we have a highly exalted high priest who can descend to our level. Sympathizing means to know experientially our weaknesses. 
Not the weakness of being a sinner, but the weakness of being a, a human. Sympathizing means, according to Ted Tripp, to Paul Tripp, sorry, wrong brother. Sympathizing means understanding what it's like to live in the middle of someone else's circumstances, coupled with a desire to do whatever is within your power to help him out. That is what your Savior does for you. He gets it. He gets what you're going through. Christ gets the stuff you're going through because he went through it himself. All the temptation, the struggles, the challenges, the hurts, the heartaches, the difficulties you go through, Christ has gone through before you have. He had to face the same life as you do in every way he was tempted. So he knows what's going on with you. He knows what you're going through. He knows how hard it is to resist the temptations and pressures brought upon you by the world and the devil. He knows the heat of life, the pressures upon you. And because he knows, he can help you. So don't give him up because he's the only one who can sympathize with what you're going through and do something about it. Another commentator says, Our high priest is highly experienced in the trials of human life. He's no rookie to trials. He's no rookie to sufferings. He knows. He's experienced. He gets it. But you might ask, how about this sinless thing? How is it helpful to us that that he was tempted without sinning? After all, he was perfect and we are by nature prone to fall into temptation. Does, does, the, does the fact that Jesus was perfect and did not sin make the temptation he faced any less real and powerful? Have you ever, is that a thought that's in your mind? Oh, because you're sinless, then he, the temptation was really just outward. It was not that powerful. He didn't really have to struggle with it. Well, my contention is that the fact that he was perfect... The fact that he did not sin made all the temptations he faced all the more powerful. Uh, Paul Tripp, in his book, Instruments in the Redeemer's Hand, suggests an illustration of a circus. It's not a good illustration anymore because who goes to the circus, he say. But I grew up going to the circus. The circus would come into town maybe twice a, a year, put a tent up, and we would go, had bed, no, like, felt like you were eating, um, um, how do you describe Gracie? Pipoca that you buy on the street. Like uh, gravel. gravel, that's how she describes it. I was going for um, styrofoam. <laughs> no, he's eating a styrofoam-like substance on the, on, on, on the benches and watching the animals and so on, and there was these different things. And in the circus, often, uh, at least in a carnival sort of circus, you'd have the strong man, right? The, the guy that was the strongest man in the, in the world. And he'd come and he'd, he'd tear maybe, uh, he'd, you bend a, a half an inch thick rebar, you know, and you do, and when it would get at nine degrees, maybe the bar would break, and then you get a one inch thick rebar, and you bend it, and you bend it till the ends touched, and yet the, it didn't break. Which bar had the man did did the man have to put more pressure on? The one that broke at ninety, or the one that he was able to bend all the way to the end? The one he bent all the way to the end, he had to put all his might to get there because it didn't break halfway through. And that was Jesus. Jesus experienced the full power of every temptation because he never broke. So the, sin, the fact that he's sinless 
made so that everything experienced, it was experienced to the nth degree. Not like us. No. The strong man comes and goes, and we break. That wasn't Jesus. And because of that, he can sympathize with you. He gets it. And he did all that as a man. We tend to think of him as the God-man, but he suffered temptation as a man, the perfect man, but a man nonetheless. In our weaknesses, brothers and sisters, he proved himself strong. In human weakness, he proved himself strong, and that continues to be the case. So don't give him up. He gets what you're going through, and he can help you. He knows exactly how much you and I can take. And he always offers a way of escape. Always. The Apostle Paul says, tells, tells us that in 1 Corinthians 10, 13. That none of us, no temptation has overtaken you except that what's common to men. But God, and you should go and underline all but gods in the New Testament. There's always something good coming after a but God. But God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able but with the temptation will also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. So don't give him up. He gets it. The Holy Spirit continues in verse 16 and says, Don't give Christ up. God is listening. Look at verse 16. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Because we have a great high priest who is interceding, pleading for us before the Father, we have all assurance in the world to come before God in prayer. As the Apostle John says in 1 John chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, My little children, these things are right to you so that you may not sin. So John says, I don't want you to sin. But then he says, And if anyone sins, which invariably is going to, invariably is going to happen, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And He Himself is the propitiation for our sins. And not for ours only, but also for the whole world. In essence, the Holy Spirit is saying that the hour of trial and crisis and doubts is not the time to go away from Christ. Rather, is the time to flee to Him because He's listening. He is waiting for us. To come to Him. The manner in which we are to come. You notice that in verse 16? Let us come, let us therefore come boldly through the throne of grace. We are to come boldly or with boldness before God in the time of trouble. This is not arrogance, but confidence. We are to come in full confidence. And this confidence is based on the fact that we know that we are going to be received by God because Jesus Christ is standing there on our behalf. Jesus is there saying, yes, this is one that can come before you. As the Apostle Paul tells us, there is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man, Jesus Christ. And the plea to come before God is a common theme in this book. Throughout the book, we have the refrain, don't abandon God, come before Him instead. If you're struggling with your faith, faith right now, if you're thinking that I, I, I'm going to leave Christ, I'm going to abandon Him, I'm going to find something better there, turn around Head to Him. You in Christ have access to your Father. And He will give you the grace that you need in this time of trial. And notice that we are to come before the throne of God. The throne is where the sovereign is. The one who has the power and the authority to do something. Because of Jesus, that throne is no longer a throne of judgment. 
but the throne of grace. God has been propitiated. That means God has been appeased and he's at peace with us. Having been justified by Jesus Christ through faith, we are at peace with God. Remember the story of Esther? Remember one of the reasons why she didn't want to uh, do what Mordecai had asked her? There's a particular protocol that you can only come before the king if the king invites you to. And if the king didn't invite you and you came anyway, it's likely that you'd be killed for doing that. And Esther was not knowing, you know, I'm going to go and if I die, I die. In God's good providence, the king let her come before him. That's not how it is with our God. Here we have a much greater king saying, come in because of Jesus Christ. We have access to the God of the universe at any time for anything. So don't run away from him. Run to him. We call him our father, even daddy. That's the idea of Abba. We are told that he's going to answer all our requests according to his blessed will. That's what he promises there in verse 16. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to the help to help in time. He doesn't say that you might find. It says you will find the grace that you need in the time of struggle. Isn't that a glorious thought? That we can come before God at any moment without needing somebody, some other earthly person to go before us. We don't have to confess our sins to somebody else and have them go to God. We don't have to bring our petition to somebody else, to some saint, that then will kind of go knock on God's door. We can go directly to Him. We can come before His throne, and He will never, ever turn us away. And yet, do we do it? Do we do, are we characterized by being constantly before the throne of the grace of God? John Calvin says, Were we indeed fully persuaded that Christ is of his own accord, stretching forth his hand to us, who of us would not come in perfect confidence? The problem is that the church of Jesus Christ is not really persuaded that Jesus Christ is handing down his hand, Come to me, and I will answer all your prayers according to my blessed will in the best way possible. We, don't, we tend not to believe that, because if we did, we'll be in constant prayer before that, we need to pray, people. We need, and we need to pray, Lord, we believe. Help our unbelief. Help us for not believing that you are God who is ready to give us grace anytime that we are in need. So why come before God? The verse tells us so that we can receive mercy and seek grace. Westcott of the uh, famous uh, country uh, dual Westcott and Hort. Now, they're actually Greek scholars of the 19th century. So everybody's really falling asleep, so I thought I'll slip that in there. Uh, Westcott does a great job in differentiating between mercy and grace. And why is it that it says that we're to receive mercy and seek grace? He says this. He says, man needs mercy f- to, for past failure and grace for present and future work. There's also a difference as to the mode of at- attainment in each case. Mercy is to be taken as it is extended to man in his weakness. Grace is to be sought by man according to his necessity. So you look at your life and it's full of sin and darkness. You are embarrassed and ashamed of your heart. What do you do? When you come to that realization, you flee to the one who already knows what is in your heart. Do you get that? God is not surprised by anything you do. God is not surprised by anything that's in your heart. 
And yet he says, come to me. Come to me in prayer. Come to me and I'll give you mercy. Come to me and I'll give, grant you grace. You flee to the one whose son is pleading for you because he knows what you go through. You flee to the one whose mercy will cover all that darkness that is in your heart. But it's not only mercy to cover the past, but grace to enable the present and the future. Remember what, uh, what happened to Paul? Paul says that he had some sort of flesh, uh, thorn in the flesh that really bothered him, likely a physical condition. And he prayed and prayed that the Lord would heal him. And remember what the message that God gave him? It says, Paul, my grace, that's all you need. You don't need to be healed. As a matter of fact, this struggle that you have in the flesh is a gift to you so that you may be humble before all the successes, all the power, all that I'm going to do through you. But my grace is sufficient to you. And then what did Paul do? He said, I'll rejoice in my infirmities, for in my weakness I am made strong. In my weakness God is made strong. So, when should we come before the throne of God? In time of need. That's what the verse tells us here. Notice that we will find mercy and grace for the time of need if you come before the throne. So coming before the throne should be the first thing we do. We are struggling. The first thing we do, come before the throne of grace. The commentator says the supply of grace is unrestricted. There's no restriction in the grace of God. The only condition being a willingness to receive it and a sense of its indispensability. So let me ask you this. Is this sense of indispensability present in us as we go through the struggles of life? Are we saying, oh Lord, I can't face this trial or face this challenge without your grace? Are we relying on his grace? Are we going to him to seek that grace that we need for the present and for the future? It is in our weakness that he shows himself strong. So, Church of Jesus Christ, flee to Christ. He is your great high priest who has paid the price for your sins and has given you access to the courts of heaven and the throne of grace. Don't give him up. Hold fast to him who is the author of your salvation. Don't let go of him. I understand the pressures of this world. I understand the sufferings of this world. I understand the temptations of this world, the heat that life brings that can cause you to think or help you think that you'd be better without Christ. But that's not the case. Don't give him up. Go further into him. Cling to him as if your life depended on it, because it does. Not only this life, but the life to come. Let us pray together. Father, we thank you for our great high priest, the Lord Jesus Christ, who stands before you interceding for us. Enable us to go to him, to seek him, to receive mercy and seek grace before the throne. A throne that through his life, death, and resurrection, the resurrection became a throne of grace rather than a throne of judgment toward us. We pray that if there is any here struggling with their faith, that they would, they would run to Christ and they will be strengthened in their faith. Father, we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.